Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, We've got an hour ahead of us uh, with Dr. Paul Kengor. This is a topic which I think is, is increasingly important. There was a period of time where I thought it was no longer necessary to talk about things like the Communist Manifesto. I mean, we had we had beaten back Soviet-style communism. It looked as though we had had a great victory, right, in 1991. And so for you know, at least a decade, I think many of us thought that this was a settled, settled matter. Uh, the communists had had their opportunity, and they'd failed. And um, the champions of freedom and... Uh, Liberty have had their opportunity, and they did quite well by comparison. And then things began to change. For some reason or other, in American social experience, we had a generation that grew up that seemed to have no memory of the Cold War. And socialism all of a sudden starts to become uh, desirable. Uh, You have the incredible influence of, of Bernie Sanders, for heaven's sake. And then you also have, of course, the increased importance of uh, the People's Republic of China and communist uh, China becoming a world power. I'm going to take this hour coming up with Dr. Paul Kengor to talk about communism and its origins. The Communist Manifesto was published 176 years ago yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about who Karl Marx was. We'll talk about how it was applied. We'll talk about why communism can be said, without fear of contradiction, to have been the most dangerous and death-dealing ideology in the history of the human race. Right now, though, let's go to today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Robin Maria Radio News. For Thursday, February 22nd, it's the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Today's news brought to you by the Ave Maria Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. The Iowa State Senate has passed a bill to codify the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act into state law. Republican senators say the bill upholds the First Amendment, while Democrats argue it could make it easier for people to discriminate against each other. A number of federal agencies are investigating if today's cell phone outages are simply technical difficulties or whether it's a part of a cyber attack. ABC News reports the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security are among the agencies trying to determine what caused thousands of AT&T customers to lose coverage for most of the day. Fear of criminal prosecution is the reason a major Alabama health system is pausing all in vitro fertilization procedures. UAB Health Systems is having its attorneys evaluate if doctors and patients can be prosecuted or held liable in civil lawsuits following this week's state Supreme Court ruling. The Alabama Supreme Court categorized frozen embryos as children who are therefore protected under the state's wrongful death laws with respect to minors. 
A former ballerina could spend 20 years to life in a Russian prison over a $51 donation to a Ukrainian charity. The 33-year-old is from Los Angeles and reportedly has both American and Russian citizenships. U.S. diplomatic officials are being denied access to her because Moscow will not recognize her dual citizenship. She's been arrested for treason. And the top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee says the indictment of an ex-FBI informant destroys Republicans' efforts to impeach President Biden. House Republicans considered Alexander Smirnoff to be a key witness in their allegations against President Biden. It was revealed that Smirnoff said he received his information about the Bidens from Russian intelligence. From your Avi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Well, it was uh, 176 years ago yesterday that uh, Karl Marx uh, published the Communist Manifesto. And this comes against the backdrop in 1848 of enormous revolutionary activity throughout Europe. And it's just stunning. Uh, I thought it would be worthwhile to take time today to understand better what this um, flurry was all about, and we're uh, delighted to have with us to do that Dr. Paul Kengor. He's the author of The Devil in Karl Marx. Uh, he, as you know, uh, has been with us many times before, and uh, his most recent book has been The Worst of Indignities, The Catholic Church on Slavery. He's also published The Devil and Bella Dodd, and uh, he teaches at uh, Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. He's a senior academic fellow at the Institute for Youth, or excuse me, for Faith and Freedom, and he is the editor of the American Spectator. Paul, good to have you here again. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Good to be back. So, 176 years ago since the Communist Manifesto was published yesterday, um, this has got to be one of the most influential books in really the his I guess the history of the world because it it goes beyond the Western world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no question about it, Al. So you yeah, published February twenty first, eighteen forty eight, and um it can be said definitively that no other ideology in all of history has been responsible for so many deaths. Yeah. I mean this is this is not disputed. Yeah, the the co- communists, communism in the twentieth century uh, according to sources like like the Harvard University Press book, the Black Book of Communism, mm-hmm. which was published at the end of the 20th century, said that the communist governments were responsible for the deaths of at least 100 million people yeah. in the 20th century alone, and and uh, and that's a conservative figure because the you know, the the Black Book only says about 20 million right deaths under Stalin and the Soviet Union and. There's other sources like um, Alexander Yakovlev, who was Gorbachev's chief reformer. He published a book around 2003 through Yale University Press called A Century of Violence in Soviet Russia. And he was given the task of counting up the skulls, if you will, <sighs> Good. to try to find, you know, figure out, yeah, how many, how many people do they kill? And he said that, that you know, quote, Stalin alone annihilated 60 to 70 million people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the Black Book says that the most deaths were under Mao, 
which was about 65 million. But the latest numbers on Mao are probably over 70 million. Mm. And uh, and by the way, none of those estimates include, and I think you and I could say this as, as Catholics on this Catholic show, um, they, they don't include the number of abortions. Right. And that that's that would be fair to include under communism because it, it, communist governments, abortion exploded under communist governments, unlike any other governments in the history of humanity, to the point where by the, 19, by the 1970s in the Soviet Union, they were averaging, according to official Soviet health ministry statistics, about 7 to 8 million abortions per year, hmm. per year, in the 70s alone. Wow. And then you look at what China did with the one-child policy, what abortion did in Cuba, behind the Iron Curtain. So, you know, 100 million, according to the Black Book of Communism, you know, which would be purges, famine, gulag. Right, okay. But but you could add probably at least another 100 million uh, through, a, through abortion, wars. Uh, it was Hitler and Stalin together through the Hitler-Stalin Pact who launched World War II. I mean, there's there's no other ideology in history as, yeah. as deadly as communism. It, it, it is amazing uh, that when we when people think of the uh, a, a demonic or satanic figure or the, the a figure by which we judge human evil, uh, Hitler's always almost always a name that comes up first, and yet Hitler was small potatoes <laughs> compared yeah. to communist leaders. Well, that's right. And, and our church said in a number of encyclicals like Divini Redemptoris in, uh, in 1937 on, on atheistic communism, it, it said, it said the, it, what, the, the, the enemy that we're facing is, is, not of, is not so much of the political order, but the spiritual order. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in fact, two years before the Communist Manifesto was even published, um, about two years, this would have been December 1846, Pope Pius IX, in one of the first encyclicals of his long pontificate, which ran from 1846 to 1878, uh, he published Qui Pluribus, which which warned of the evils of this 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 nefarious new diabolical ideology called communism. Yeah, which yeah. which just to show you how how profound, and I think how genuinely. Spirit led the magisterium of the Catholic Churches. It, that was December 1846. Yeah, and the Communist Manifesto wasn't even published. published yeah, yeah, until February 1848. So, so the Church saw this way out in front. Divini Redemptoris, Rerum Novarum, Quadragesimo Anno, all these other encyclicals. They said uh, you know, this, this this is an ideology orchestrated by to directly quote Divini Redemptoris by the sons of darkness. The church called it a satanic scourge. Hmm. So not just, not just another ideology. This isn't just like the Democrats or Republicans and tax cuts, right? right? right. Yeah, this is an altogether different uh, cat, animal, beast altogether. Let's talk about Karl Marx in this respect. What was his religious, spiritual background? He he was I know uh, an explicit atheist at some point, but what uh, was that early on in his life? 
Yeah, so he was born in May 1818, um, ironically, in the town of Trier, Germany. Uh, Trier is spelled like Trier, T-R-I-E-R. And there is, um, this will ring a bell with a lot of Catholics, there is a great cathedral in Trier that was founded in the 4th century. Yeah. And, and it was built by St. Helena, the, 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 the mother of Constantine of all people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and in fact, it's uh, among the artifacts that she brought back from the Holy Land, she claimed to have brought back the crown of thorns, which is in Notre Dame, uh, the Holy Lance, which is at the Vatican. And she also claimed to have found the Holy Robe of Jesus, which is actually in that cathedral in Trier. Hmm. And in fact, uh, Marx, in one of his literally diabolical poems, he wrote, he wrote poems, poetry, plays about the devil, um, has, the, has the demonic character who's you know, sawing on his violin and summoning up the powers of darkness, uh, marks in the costume design that he created, too, for the, for the play, has that character wearing the holy robe of Jesus wow. as he's doing this. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's Marx. So, <laughs> so, so Marx grew up within the... Uh, can't make this stuff up, right? Right. Uh, Marx grew up outside of the of the of the cathedral in Trier. Uh, by the way, he and Engels, when they were working on the on the Communist Manifesto in Brussels, where uh, Marx and Engels were working on it, they both had apartments um, it, right outside of the cathedral of, of Saint Michael the Archangel. So th- they're doing their kind of dirty work in the shadows. Of these, of these, 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 these cathedrals, right? Wow. Michael the Archangel of all things, right? Defend us in battle. I know. Protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. Yeah. Spiritual warfare, uh, right there in the on the pages of history going on. Right there. Wow. Right there. Yeah. And yeah. So, so Marx was born in May 1818, and he was born into a Jewish family that had many rabbis, even Orthodox rabbis. But his, um, his father had converted to Christianity, and by the way, he converted to Lutheranism, whereas Marx had other people in his family, other uncles, um, who converted to Catholicism, as did really most of the Jewish converts in the Trier area converted to Catholicism. But his father converted to Lutheranism. Uh, the, Marx's mother resisted, resisted converting herself. But Marx, she kind of gave in around the age of five or six. Um, Carl was baptized into the faith. So he became a fairly, uh, a fairly committed Christian through his youth into his teenage years. And then it all kind of, uh, you know, I guess he literally went to hell in a handbasket yeah. uh, when, when, he, when he went to college. So kind of like today, right? yeah. <laughs> things, things haven't changed much. Yeah, it was there in college that he really lost the faith. Now, there have been people uh, over the decades, uh, I've seen them write that he was involved in seances or occultic activity or black masses and things of that sort. Did you ever come across that kind of stuff? I never came across that, but, but in my book, The Devil and Karl Marx, I, I deal with those reports and and some of them that people claim yeah. um, seem like you know demonic ceremonies or, sat- or satanic rituals, but I don't think you even need to go that far, Al. I mean, if you just if you just read some of his poems and you know, talking about 
uh, you look at the sword that stabs dark, deep, erringly within thy soul. Where did I get it? The, you know, the, the, the prince of darkness sold it to me. Um, you know, my, 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 my heart once, once committed to heaven is now committed to hell. He has these really chilling poems and plays with where, where he took words like Ulanem, which, which meant Emmanuel and twisted it, converted mm-hmm. it, turned it upside down. And you know, all these devil references he had, Marx actually had a favorite line. So if somebody asks, you know, Paul Kengor or Al Cresta, if we have a, favorite line, we might quote a Bible verse or a quote from a saint or you know, a statement like, be not afraid or something like that. Sure. Mark said, uh, Mark said, oh yeah, that's easy. It's, it's from Goethe's Faust, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's the Mephistopheles character. And the line <laughs> is this, everything that exists deserves to perish. Everything oh. that exists deserves to perish. And people said, his kids even said, he would chant Faust. It, it, the, and the Mephistopheles character was the demon, the yes, devil character. Right, right. So that that you know, that's Marx was this you know, nihilistic, destructive character, who whose very credo was just that: everything that that exists deserves to perish. So here's a this is a very dark, very dark view of reality that he holds mm. from early on. Very dark. Yeah, uh, we're going to continue conversation with Dr. Paul Kengor. The Devil and Karl Marx, uh, the name of his book. Uh, he also has The Devil and Belladad. We are, our discussion today is occasioned by the anniversary of the publication of the Communist Manifesto. And uh, again, 1848, and this was an important year uh, in European history and also in the history of the church. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. Are you passionate about Jesus? Are you zealous for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him? Is that true? It's not true for most people in the church. Is Jesus my best friend? Is he your best friend? I'm looking around the church, there's a set of guys in here who have great man caves. As I was praying this morning, I felt like the Lord said, hey, when are you going to come to my man cave? <laughs> like, you guys think a flat screen TV is really cool. Well, you should see what I got to offer. Because I and I alone, he says, can really give you what it is you're longing for. Whoever it is we're rooting for right now, they're, they're going to lose eventually. Or whatever it is that's occupying our time, one day we're going to realize it really wasn't that important. Why aren't we hanging out with the one who alone can show us what life is really all about? When was the last time you hung out in the Lord's man cave? In the world of religion, what constitutes a promise? What constitutes a vow? How do they differ? The Catholic Catechism states that the Christian is called to make promises in a number of different ways, such as in baptism, confirmation, matrimony, and holy orders. A Christian may also make promises that are uniquely his own, such as promising to say certain prayers, give alms, or make a pilgrimage. Remaining faithful to a promise we make to God demonstrates the respect due Him and His divine love. A vow is a deliberate and free act of devotion in which a Christian dedicates himself to God or promises God some good work. 
The Church recognizes as especially exemplary those who embrace the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Let me uh, encourage you to start your day off with the Mass on EWTN. It's every morning at 8 Eastern. EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. It's live every morning, and they can send a link to your email to join in every day. So, to learn more, visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. With me is Dr. Paul Kengor. We're talking about the Communist Manifesto, uh, Karl Marx. We're talking about this incredible conflict between light and darkness played out uh, right in human history here. Paul, 1848 was a, an important, important year. How do historians account for the explosion of revolutionary activity all over the continent on 1848? Yeah, and especially in France, right? And 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 with in France, you know, that year in particular, February 1848, March 1848, uh, and and really, you probably got to take it back to the French Revolution more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And the French Revolution, 1793, 1794, and in fact, between 1793 and 1794, the Jacobins and Maximilien Robespierre, they guillotined 40,000 people in in, in Paris alone, 40,000 people guillotined, guillotined. 
and the you know, Lenin would later call his his, Bolsh- his Bolsheviks glorious Jacobins, glorious Jacobins. Oh. And I had I had a professor in graduate school, Al, who used to call the Jacobins the first communists. <laughs> and I mean, they they you know they technically weren't, but when you looked at the collectivism, the nationalism, and especially the war on religion, the clergy, and even human nature. In many ways, they, they, they look like the first communists. And they tried to reinvent everything from, I mean, even the calendar, even the seven-day week. They tried to, they tried to reconfigure the seven-day week into a 10-day week to wipe out the idea of uh, the biblical seven-day week. Um, the year 1794 was rechristened the year zero. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, the Pol Pot and, and his group, the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, a couple hundred years later, um, in 1975, would rechristen that year, the year zero. <laughs> and, and Pol Pot and, and his, they were, they were from Cambodia, but his group was all radicalized in Paris as well in the 1970s. So you see the kind of the ongoing, you know, you know, toxic fruits of, of this ideology. But uh, it, it was a war on religion, a war against the clergy, um, a war against classes. And, and so I would, I would really begin all of it in, um, you know, in very, very Catholic uh, Paris, France mm-hmm. in the 1790s. Yeah, so this is, this, this is a pushback, uh, an attempt to overthrow the existing order uh, in the church played an important part in that existing order. Is that right? That's right. And and Marx and Engels, although they were both German, they met in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where. And and in fact, uh, Richard Pipes, the late great Soviet Russian historian, Sovietologist. He says that, that the very term communism itself was coined in Paris hmm. at some point in the 1840s. And what Marx and Engels really did, Al, was there was a group called the Communist League, which was kind of like a precursor to the Communist Party. Okay. It was made up of about 40 to 50 um, Europeans, mainly Germans, uh, primarily. And they all got together, and they were meeting in, in France in particular, and they said, okay, we need a statement of what we believe. We need a kind of programmatic statement, a book, a booklet, a sort of manifesto to explain what we as communists believe. Okay, so it's kind and of a catechism so, for communists. Exactly. And in fact, um, Engels wrote a letter to Marx where he said, he said, give a little more thought to our communist confession of faith, <laughs> as he called it. Wow. Right? And he yeah, said, I think we yeah. should drop the... Yeah, we should drop the catechetical form and call it simply the manifesto. Let's mm. go with the manifesto. And so that's what they went with. Atheism was part and parcel of communism. Sometimes you hear people say that, um, you know, there, there is the early church was uh, Christian communism. But uh, <laughs> I, and it drives me nuts when I hear that. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but well, <laughs> but atheism is is in is integral uh, to communism, isn't it? I mean, it, everywhere it, it everywhere is. pops up as a political, uh, socio political form, uh, atheism is warp and woof. 
So Yes, right. And, and also, if you could, maybe you could post. I, I wrote a piece for Crisis Magazine a year or two ago called The Early Church Was Not Socialist. <laughs> yes. and, I deal, yeah, and I deal with Acts 432 to 435 which we end up reading, right, usually in the lectionary yeah. uh, around Easter every year. And I get emails, Al, I get emails from, from Catholics all around the country saying, you know, my liberal priest today preached on this and said that this just shows that the early apostles were socialists, right? Yeah. And, and, and no, it does not. <laughs> okay? And, and, and by the way, and I quote in that, in that crisis piece, Pope Francis, who's often accused of being you know, communist, Marxist, socialist, and, and Francis says, Francis says, he says, he says, no, that was not communism, that was Christianity. Yeah. That was pure yeah. Christianity. I mean, that's first century stuff right there, right? I mean, the, you know, communism is invented about, you know, about 1,700 years later. And just because they talk about sharing in communism and holding some things in common doesn't mean that you look at... Uh, acts of private charity among early disciples and apostles choosing to live in community and uh, sharing some of their property. By the way, they're allowed to own property. The communism says, uh, the Communist Manifesto says, the entire theory of the communist may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. Mm-hmm. So you're not allowed to own property under communism. The early disciples were, and they chose on their own voluntarily to sell some of their property and bring their proceeds to help one another, their Christian brothers and sisters living together under Christ in Christian charity. Now, under communism, not only do they abolish private property, they abolish religion. You know, they're, 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 they're against religion. So you can't look at that and say, oh, look, they shared, and, <laughs> and oh, and communism, too, talks about it. Wow, I guess they were communists. You can only, no. you can only share no. if you've got ownership. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and also too, and this is, and I've heard I had a student last year at a Catholic school tell me that um, she talked to somebody who was uh, a, a, a leader of an order at a particular area, and and it, it was a, it was a Benedictine group, and 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 she said that he actually told her, oh yeah, well we're communists because because they they did sharing and lived in community. And I said, no, he doesn't understand. Right. I, I mean, what, what percentage of Americans are Benedictines living in community, right? <laughs> About 0.00000001%. <laughs> right. So if they want to get together and, 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 and voluntarily agree to share of their stuff, God bless them, that's great. Sure. Communism is taking 100% of everybody in a state, and by militantly atheistic government fiat, forcing all of them under abolition of property and guns and gulags to share their stuff, whether they want to or not, in an atheistic society. That's completely different from the Benedictines and Franciscans and Dominicans and every other religious order. You know, I think... No similarity at all. Hopefully, hopefully people will realize this more and more as the threat of uh, Chinese communism uh, begins to uh, rise in our public imagination. I, I... you know, we were so delighted with the collapse of Soviet-style communism that uh, I think for a lot of us, we stopped, we took our eye off the ball uh, about Maoist-style uh, communism and uh, Deng right. Xiaoping's communism and, and now Xi Jinping's communism. But we've got... Well, and it, go ahead. Yeah. And it, it doesn't help when we have Catholic publications like America Magazine, 
right? The, That's the right. American Jesuit flagship yes. publishing a piece in the summer of 2019 called, quote, the Catholic case for communism, yeah. unquote. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is no Catholic case for communism. And there are dozens of church statements and encyclicals and popes who would say that there's no Catholic case for communism. Even Pope Francis has said in 2013, quote, the Marxist ideology is wrong, unquote. Yeah. So it, even, even all the communists would say there's no Catholic case for communism, because they all said the communists had to be atheists. Yeah. So to have that kind of an article being published in a, in a leading Catholic publication like that is, is, is frankly not just outrageous, but kind of scandalous. Yeah, and, it, it, and, and it's so confusing uh, for people who, you know, who are, you know, assume, the, assume goodwill here, you know, so... Right. Uh, ignorance. It, yeah. I'll, I'll blame it on ignorance. It's not diabolical, right? right. I mean, they, they actually think that, they, that they've come up with some kind of a new idea there about why apparently Catholics could be communists. And the, and the piece was actually written by a Canadian author who I believe is a, a member of the Canadian Communist Party, Ooh, really? Catholic. Hmm. And, and by the way, the, the Church for a long time, Pius XII and others, banned Catholics from becoming communists. Yeah. You could be excommunicated if you became a communist. Well, the, the, so this kind of stuff isn't even known. The, the, the writings of uh, popes in the great social encyclicals are explicitly uh, condemning of socialism and communism both, whether it's Leo XIII, you know, or, or going up to John Paul II and Santissimo Sanos. Yeah, over and over again. Um, for social justice Catholics who are listening, who love Leo the Thirteenth and like to quote Rerum Novarum, uh, man, you need to read some of his other encyclicals. He issued some scathing condemnations yeah. of uh, not just communism, but all yeah. saying that that they were both wrong. And uh, forty years after that, Quadragesimo Anno, which means forty years, it's yep. forty years after Rerum Novarum, nineteen thirty-one. That's the one where it says a Catholic cannot be a socialist. Yeah. Period. Yep. And and in fact, there's a great line in there from Pius XI. I always remember the phraseology. It's kind of neat. He said he said Catholics um, who who want to help the poor and share their wealth and so forth should not quote connive error in any way. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they should they should simply do the gospel. Just do what Jesus would do. Right. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Not what would Marx do. <laughs> Marx would abolish property and religion. Yeah. Just, just be a Christian. Yeah. Just, yeah. just do that. Rerum Novarum in paragraphs five to sixteen, uh, over and over again, rejects so- socialist proposals to abolish private property. The, the Catholic encyclical right. tradition is very, very big on the proper stewardship of private property. You need private property. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. 
Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically own shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. So many people call themselves Christian, call themselves Catholic, call themselves evangelical, whatever, and they're nothing more than members of the church of what's happening now, as Slip Wilson used to say. You want direction, you want guidance, go to the source. Go to Jesus, go to scripture, go to the church teachings. Not to Whoopi Goldberg, not to, and we pray for her, but Nancy Pelosi's version of Catholicism or Joe Biden's version of Catholicism or any other politician that holds fast to their quote-unquote Catholic faith, yet consistently, consistently and blatantly, not just speaks against the church, but acts against the church. We need to pray for these people, and we need to encourage bishops to stand up for the truth and not be afraid. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer of spiritual communion. Spiritual communion is a concept that goes all the way back to the 4th century. It flourished in the Eastern Church and gradually moved West. Spiritual communion stresses the transcendence of God, where we unite our desires, intentions, and loves with the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist at the altar. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Paul Kengor. He is the author of The Devil and Karl Marx. And we're taking the anniversary of the uh, publication, uh, again, it's February 21st, uh, yesterday, uh, 1848, that uh, we saw the publication of the Communist Manifesto. And uh, 
again, communism has gone on to be the most destructive and death-dealing ideology in the history of the human race. And so uh, Paul and I have been talking a little bit about confusion surrounding communism and socialism, and especially in Christian circles, where there are many people who, of course, like the idea of uh, the sharing of goods, holding things in common, and there are even those who would claim that uh, this is early Christian communism can be seen in Acts chapter 4. Not true. Communism, by its very definition, requires the abolition of private property. So you can't be sharing uh, if you don't own anything. Uh, I, th- with, com- with Chinese communism in, you know, ahead, uh, what should we know? Is there anything distinctive about the Chinese version of communism that uh, we might want to be aware of, uh, you know, just so that we don't fall into any uh, problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's indeed very distinctive. In fact, so much so that when I lecture on China in my comparative politics class at Grove City College, I simply refer to it, Al, as the Chinese system, right? Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, they've figured out, among other things, that if you actually banish all private property, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just you're not going to be able to have that economic behemoth that you want, right? Right. right. So, so they they've starting with Deng Xiaoping in 1978-79, they started doing what Deng called uh, called um, socialism with Chinese characteristics. Mm-hmm. So, which is a way of it's it's a really curious thing where where modern China is less economically communist than politically communist, which in a way kind of doesn't make sense, right? But but you have this you have this communist party led state where like all other communist party led states, no other political parties are permitted. So the the party controls everything. But they also allow key market freedoms and property ownership. So um so they're able to be economically productive. So it's not really true economic communism. Yeah. Um and even in America today, I mean the types of Communism that you see in America today are more like you know, cultural forms of Marxism, gender Marxism, even race-based Marxism. So it's a really different thing from what you saw under Marx and Engels. And I mean, Marx and Engels in the Communist Manifesto. You just look at the ten-point plan in the in the Communist Manifesto. You know, you know, point one: abolition of private property. Uh, you know, it, it, it talks about abolition of all right of inheritance. Hmm. abolition of all right of inheritance, yeah. which is a real kind of hypocritical howler because Marx and Engels got all their money from their parents. <laughs> That's right. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and after after Marx's parents cut him off, and then Marx's wife's parents cut them off, and both Marx and his wife, Jenny, said that, Carly, we wish you would start earning some capital rather than just writing about it. Uh, you know, then, they, then they went to Engels' father and got every bit that they could from Engels' father. I mean, Marx, Marx's family would have literally starved to death if not for Engels' father's money. So, so the, you know, and Marx had a, had a family nursemaid that, that his wife Jenny's family lent to the Marx family because they said, we can't give you any more money in good conscience, period. So, so they, they, they lent the Marx family the nursemaid that grew up with Marx's wife. Her name was Lenchen, and Marx got her pregnant and behind his wife's back. And, uh. and Marx never paid her a penny, ever. And then when the child was born, 
Marks refused to acknowledge it was his. Ingalls stepped forward and says, well, you know, I have no reputation that I need to worry about. You know, I'll, I'll just say it's my kid. Let's name him Freddie. So they named him <laughs> Frederick, Friedrich, Freddie. And the kid never got any inheritance from Marks. So, uh, you know, it's, but it, it's just full of all these contradictions um, from Marx and Engels. And a lot of times that in modern communism, modern forms, they've jettisoned a lot of these ideas because they know you can't have a society with no private property or no right of inheritance because yeah. it'll completely fail. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? The, the, the rejection, it, it's, not, it's not just... When we think of atheism, we think people denying the existence of God but well, it often comes down to they're denying the existence of any kind of intrinsic moral order. And uh, you see that in the lives of some of these guys. That's absolutely right. And, and in fact, it says in the Communist Manifesto, there's a section where, where Marx and Engels write about you know, all, abolishing all morality, all religion, and all eternal truths. And and they and they say flatly in the Communist Manifesto, they say communism represents the most radical rupture in traditional relations. They call, uh, I mean, if anyone can, if anyone has access to an electronic copy of the Communist Manifesto, by the way, it's not a long book. You can read it in a few hours. It's right. only about fifty to sixty pages long. Just look up the word um, abolition or abolish. It's 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 the most frequently used book in the or, or word in the entire text, um, and which again goes with Marx's personal credo. You know, every, you know, everything, uh, everything, everything that exists should perish. So these guys were um, abolitionists who completely wanted to redo human nature, morality, and basically remake it in their own image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It tears down every traditional. Uh, society, uh, it is destructive by its very nature. Uh, what, what do you make of the current uh, fascination with uh, socialism that we see, especially uh, among America's young, youth and college-age students? Yeah, I think, I think the reason there, Al, is that they, they don't know what it is, honestly. And, I mean, when you, when you sit through colleges and seminars and unfortunately some catholic colleges right and and they tell you that uh you know the basis of the communist manifesto and communist belief is a desire to share and help your fellow man and by the way there are surveys on this by groups like victims of communism memorial foundation where they'll ask people young people do you support socialism and they'll get these really high numbers yes we do we think it's good right 40 43 percent and then they'll say, well, explain to us in a phrase what you think it is. Yeah. And they'll say, well, it's about helping your fellow man. Yeah. It's about yeah. sharing. Right? They don't say things like, oh, well, it's about abolishing all right of inheritance, <laughs> all eternal truth, all religion, right, all my right. private property, uh, and, and the most radical rupture in traditional relations, you know, overthrowing everything that exists. Uh, so so you know, I, I, and if there's one kind of ray of hope in all of this, it's that if we actually could teach them the truth about it, then hopefully they won't be praising socialism and communism. So that's why I think shows like yours and what we're doing here is so crucial yeah. because they need to be educated because they're not getting it from uh, from 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 their schools. 
Right, right. No, it, it is. It's very frustrating to see it. And uh, there is a long history here. And especially for Catholics, there's a long encyclical tradition dealing with this and dealing with the problems that uh, the social problems that uh, Marx thought he was addressing. So you you have in in the end in the Catholic uh, social doctrine, you've got uh, ways of discussing uh, labor and management. You have ways of uh, discussing. Uh, the relationship um, between the worker, uh, the family, and I—it's I, just unfortunately the ignorance that is widespread. I think among American youth is also uh, absent among many uh, Catholic youth. They don't—they sim- simply don't have any systematic instruction in Catholic social teaching, and so they're subject to—they're easily victimized by people who, you know, invoke phrases like social justice uh, and then define that in ways that the church doesn't define it. So you've got a lot of that going on, I think. Yeah, no, that's right. They're easily duped. And, you know, a lot of the social justice Catholics hate it when you say um, social justice. No, you guys are advocating socialism, right? Yeah. But in a lot in a lot of cases, Al, right, that's indeed what they're doing. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, social justice, there's a lady in my church who wears a shirt to the, to the, to the pro-life, um, the, the annual March for Life, uh, January 22nd. It says social justice begins in the womb, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not, social justice is not supposed to be like a substitute phrase for, you know, your desire to pursue socialist um, economic policies, right. but for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's become that. Yeah, it really have. I think so. I, I think I think that's that's very true. In your uh, in your teaching experience, um, you teach at a Christian college, so I'm assuming it's not quite the same as teaching in a, a public university. Uh, do you find that people are younger people are open to learning about, you might say, uh, the Black Book of Communism? Are they open to hearing the kind of destructive measures uh, that we attribute to uh, communist political policy? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're really hungry for it, Al. And there's kind of, you know, I find with a lot of of young people today, they've got kind of like a built-in, intuitive sort of nonsense detector, right? Yeah. And they, you know, they they could tell if you're not giving them all the information. And when they actually sit down, as they do, in my, I'm teaching Marxism again this semester at Grove City College. I teach it every spring semester. And when they actually read the Communist Manifesto, <laughs> especially yeah. business majors, practically minded people, it occurs to them they, they think, well, how would you do this? Right. Right? I mean, you forcibly relocate everybody, a more equitable distribution of the population across the country, obliterating the distinction between between urban and rural. That's point five in the in the 10 point plan. Yeah. You're thinking, well, that means picking people up and moving them from their houses and forcibly leveling them in populations. All How would you do that by anything other than guns and gulags? Right. It's like, well, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's an ideology that screams out for despotism. Yeah. And, and if, if Marx and Engels had turned in 
their book, if they had turned it in as a paper and a course, <laughs> right, in one of my classes, I would have, I, aside from giving it an F, I might have wanted to call the police, right? <laughs> and, and, and by the way, a lot of people back then, including the Prussian uh, police spies, the, the German government, and the Catholic Church, they read the documents and they said, oh, this is really bad. Yep. If yep. these guys want to do this, they're going to kill a lot of people. Yeah. This has to be stopped. Yeah. So, so you know, they, they realized by reading it on its face how destructive these, these policies were that they were advocating. And there's something ironic, too, in that in Russia, we saw the first large so-called Marxist revolution when, in fact, Marx expected his revolution to take place in an industrialized society where in Tsarist Russia you had lots and lots and lots of peasants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Britain, France, or Germany. And right. I think there's something uniquely diabolical in that they went after one of the most religious countries in the world, Yeah, which, which Russia was. Russian Orthodoxy. Yep, yeah. very true. And in the Western Hemisphere, Cuba, and in Korea... Pyongyang used to be called the Jerusalem of the East. Interesting. I didn't That's know that. in North Korea. Yep. Wow. Very religious places is, are the ones that they took, that wow. they went after. Paul, what thanks. Always good talking with All you. All right, Al. Dr. Sure. Paul Kengar, The Devil, and Karl Marx. The following program is brought to you in part by MyCatholicWill.com. Surveys show that more than half of Americans do not have a will. At MyCatholicWill.com, it takes as little as 15 minutes to write your will and secure a legacy of faith. MyCatholicWill.com is the exclusive online destination for creating a Catholic will. The process of writing a will is simple and now more accessible than ever. MyCatholicWill.com, a legacy of faith for those you love. Dr. Ray Garendi. There's a simple step to raising a more grateful child. I used to say, easy, eliminate half of their material possessions. I don't say that anymore, that's ridiculous. I say 75%. They don't even miss 50. 22 stuffed animals, you go down to 11? Not exactly a hardship. Simple step to raising a more grateful child. Don't be so free with the material stuff. Research has shown more generous people, by and large, have less. You give a child less, he's more willing to share it. He also is more able to occupy himself with things like boxes and dirt balls and rocks, worms, stuff that doesn't cost a whole lot of anything. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from idle gossip. Feast on purposeful silence. Fast from words that pollute. Feast on words that purify. Fast from discontent. Feast on gratitude. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being here and reminding you that you can follow up on our conversation with Paul by going to AveMariaRadio.net. Uh, he mentioned uh, an article he published uh, 
don't know when it was, a year or two ago, called The Early Church Was Not Socialist. We will have that article for you. Uh, we'll have it in the Cresta Guest Archive, so just head over to AveMariaRadio.net and uh, find your way to the article. There'll be plenty more articles there as well, but I want to ma- mention that one in particular since he pointed it out. Now, uh, The Devil and Karl Marx, of course, is available in our online bookstore. You can pick it up there. We didn't talk about Bella Dodd uh, earlier, but uh, his book, The Devil and Bella Dodd, is in the online bookstore as well. So do uh, head on over there and take advantage of the resources that remain available. I'm Al Cresta. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.